Well, remember, those of you who have been here this summer, that we are making our way through Galatians um, one week at a time for six weeks. That's in our lectionary readings uh, the, the being read everywhere. And so uh, we come now to chapter 5. Remember also that uh, we, we, in a very simple way, broke down the whole of Galatians, the six chapters, and said um, that there are uh, three issues here. One is a uh, question of authority. Um, whose word and what teaching do we believe? And Paul is confronting a huge issue of conflict among um, fellow teachers uh, in Galatia. And secondly, um, question, how do I get saved in chapters 3 and 4? Um, in other words, how does one get right with God if one realizes that sense of being not right with God? And thirdly, uh, is about right living. That's what we come to today in the fifth chapter, is how do I live a life of righteousness, uh, right living. I believe that this is one of the most important, vital, essential nuggets of truth in the whole of Scripture that we heard of today. It comes up, shows up under one word and clarifies a huge misunderstanding that most of the world has about their lives and about right living and about their relationship with God. Uh, the word we heard today in this particular translation was the word flesh. Uh, sometimes it is translated, um, I think a little bit more clearly, the sinful nature. The sinful nature. Paul is making a hugely strategic point here about our lives and how we live before the cross and before the Holy Spirit. Because there is not one problem we have but two in terms of our relationship with God as well as our relationship with our neighbor and our relationship with ourselves as well. If we often think of the problem of our willful misbehavior, which we know that word sin, and that uh, we need to commit fewer sins. And so perhaps we look at our lives and we said, well, I used to, I mean, my list was this long then. Now it's only this long. So I'm obviously in better shape and closer to God and on the right track. Well, that may or may not be true, because there is another issue here which is deeper and more profound. And it's this word, the flesh or the sinful nature. And what Paul teaches in Galatians as well as in Romans, he teaches that we are structurally defective. We are constitutionally um, twisted and bent. And there is nothing we can do about that. That is how we came into the world. It's described in Genesis 3 as the great rebellion of Adam and Eve. And it has infected every human being who has lived ever since. And there is nothing you can do to improve your state. It also is a marvelous apology, um, defense of the Christian faith in its own unique approach to the resolution of this problem and that is, you can't fix it. You cannot do anything about something. It's as if you were born without a left arm, and you're going to try harder to grow your left arm. And you can't do it. 
That is the sinful nature. And so many of us think that because we commit sins, we have a sinful nature. And Paul says, no. He said, because you have a sinful nature, you're always committing sins. And you can try to do fewer sins, but if you don't address the issue of the sinful nature, you will never come clean with God completely. You are in effect fixed. You are condemned to a life of bondage, oppression, and slavery, a life of death. That's what Paul's talking about today. I want to um, let uh, Eugene Peterson, in his own inimitable way, speak of the issue with this sinful nature because I want it to hurt you a little bit. I want it to sting and prick a little bit. I, I, is the burden, the weight of the law, the oughts and shoulds of our lives. Um, I, I, I've been, I try to get at this. Um, sometimes I get it with my heart, which is more important than getting it with my head. When I get it with my head, then I can explain it better. But the important thing for you is not so much to understand it, but be able to get it with your heart. And it's a little bit like this. If you're watching a baseball player swing a bat, if he is young and inexperienced and he's a sloppy swinger, he's never going to hit the ball. I mean, if he's just kind of holding it wrong, he just does like this. You, you may have seen your child do that as they're learning how to swing a bat. It's just chaotic, you know, like this. And uh, there's no way that the ball's going to get hit. That's kind of like a life of sin, just chaos, random, you know, and it's just not going to get you that solid hit. So you begin to swing better and better and better, and you, you get it on your shoulder right, and I'm not a good, good batter, but uh, you get your feet placed right, and you get your knees bent right, and your hips swiveling right. And so when you swing, you begin to swing and have a smooth swing through it, and you're getting there. And then you begin to get a little puffed up because you've gotten a few hits, and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And then you start thinking, I can hit a home run. I can hit a home run every time, I bet. And so then what do you do? Uh, what they tell sometimes young players and even older players is you are swinging too hard. You, just, just trying to knock the ball out of the park and you're, you're just gritting your teeth and striving and you're going, you're going to hit it. You're tired of just hitting those, uh, just getting on base. You want to do the, where you can circle the bases and so you, you just swing as hard as you can and um, the home run usually never comes swinging too hard and usually not even a hit comes, you end up striking out. And I would suggest that that is a baseball player living under the law. So he got out of the, the life of chaotic swinging and learned order and propriety, learned how the oughts and shoulds, the proper swinging. And then, um, and then you start swinging so hard, you're coming up with nothing. And you have strikeout after strikeout after strikeout because you put yourself under the law. And then there's that third place to be as a swinger where you get into this groove and you stop trying so hard. You kind of even maybe give up in frustration because you haven't been on base in so long. You're, you're just hoping to get on base again now. And so all of a sudden you get it all together and you, it's, a, it's a proper swing and a right swing, but it's not a hard swing. It's just smooth right through the groove. Golfers would know this too, swinging too hard. And what do you get is you hear that solid thunk of the ball on the bat. It flies over the shortstop's head, drops into the you know, outfield, and you're on second base or maybe even third. If you're lucky, you got it. That's the life of grace. 
And it's hard for us to figure that out with our hearts. I learned in football, and I expect you all to get tired. Now, I, I, County, I played football for 15 seasons, and it was very formative in my early life. And I have more football stories than anybody would ever want to hear. But uh, I, I'm going to throw one more in there and just ask for your patience with an old football player who passionately loved it once upon a time. Um, I was taught to uh, play defensive end uh, with abandon. Go for it. Get out there and play with abandon. And so as a young defensive end in high school, that was me, uh, not for very long, because I'd overrun the play. Uh, the guy's running this way, and I'm going that way, or I'm going that way, and he's coming off tackle. Because I'm just playing um, recklessly, and the coach just chewing me out for, he said, you've got to be controlled. You've got to be controlled. So I said, yeah, 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 okay. So then I get real controlled, and so I'm just playing real tight and stiff defensive end, and uh, 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 I want to do it exactly right, and I'm trying so hard to do it just the right steps, right, you know, stance, have my hand, trying so hard, and uh, the play goes right past me while I'm thinking so hard and trying so hard, and, and, and the coach chews me out for not playing with abandon after he said I need to play with more control. And so then I said, okay, I can't, all right, you can't play controlled football, you can't play abandoned football, and so uh, what, what, do you, what does one do? And it, it clicked for me one day, and it was kind of, I hate to use, I mean, it's kind of a spiritual moment because it came together. And I think this thought came to my mind. It wasn't given to me by a coach, but he may have given it to, to me. Um, but he said, no, you play with controlled, reckless abandon. That's how you play defensive end. Controlled, reckless abandon. And somehow it clicked somewhere down in my psyche. And I said, oh, yeah, I get that. And so you do, it's like doing the right swing but you don't try so hard. You just do it. You just, you, it's kind of like instead of trying to be a defensive end, you are a defensive end. I would offer that these may be inadequate, but may be helpful images of what we're trying to get at here when we're talking about what Paul is trying to teach us, that yes, the burden of sin is a terrible burden, and it will lead to a life of chaos and destruction. But the burden of the living under the law is equally terrible. There are many denominations, many preachers in many churches that give a real emphasis on that law. They don't say they are, but that's really what they're doing. And you feel ashamed and guilty and worse than when you um, first arrived. Um, so or that hellfire and damnation kind of, uh, you're going to hell unless, and so on and so forth. Paul doesn't talk that way. He doesn't teach that way. He doesn't write that way. And Jesus did not either. Uh, Jesus and Paul both say, there's this way, there's that way. Sin, law, and there's a third way. Life in the Spirit. We sang earlier today one of those beautiful praise songs, set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, can't control. I want more of you, God. That's a Holy Spirit prayer. And I simply want to offer a preponderance of evidence from Scripture that I'm, just not, I'm not simply making this up, that the Holy Spirit is the seed, the good seed, the right seed, and we need plenty of Him in order to live this higher life, which will bless you and bless others, blessed to be a blessing. So take, for example, 2 Corinthians the third chapter. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory 
are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Or take Romans, the eighth chapter. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are, not control, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by what? By that good seed, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he, I'm sorry, he will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to that sinful nature. Put it down to live according to it. But if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you, you're going to flourish and be fruitful and have wonderful, fruitful life. Or John 3, J- Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound. You cannot tell where it comes from. This is a mysterious truth we are talking about or where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. It's a mysterious new life, this person who has been newly created. Or John 14 Jesus writing, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. It doesn't, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you. He will be in you. Or John 14, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Or John 16, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth about sin, about law. He will guide you into all truth and how you are to live your life of love. In other words, he will not speak on his own. The Spirit will only speak what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. So my thesis that I've offered to you for the past two weeks now, and Hope have offered to you at other times as well, is the Holy Spirit is an essential missing ingredient in many people's lives as a recipe for wholesome living. So if, if perhaps you are moved towards an interest of more of the Holy Spirit, more of His life, more of His power, then it's fair to ask, well, how? How do I get there? And it's hard to answer that question, in my opinion, because you cannot control the Holy Spirit. You cannot turn Him on and turn Him off All you can do is say, Lord, I want more of your spirit. Come whenever you wish. But there are some ways that I can help you get to that point where you can receive that wonderful anointing of what Jesus and Paul talks about. Let me just give you a very quick prescription for this. How do I get there? More Holy Spirit within me that I can live this third track, not the sin track, not the law track, but the Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last track. For freedom, Christ has set us free track. That fullness of life track. First, repent. Which is to say, change your mind about the Holy Spirit. Have a complete radical change of mind about His value, His importance, and His necessity for your life as a Christian. Secondly, believe therefore that there is the Holy Spirit. He's alive, He's personal, and He's powerful And he is just waiting to be invited into your life more fully. Thirdly, this is very important. Practically speaking, go where the Holy Spirit has a reputation for showing up. 
Go where you realize that when you go and when you leave that you have been changed, which is a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned that last week as well. It may be in your quiet time where the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. The Spirit can show up, does show up in our quiet time. Uh, It may be uh, in a small group where Jesus has told us, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Holy Spirit shows up. It may be worship in community. There's great worship in solitary, but nothing like great worship when the the believers gather together like a setting like this. Certainly in the context of any kind of praise opportunity, and there's nothing wrong with having praises on your lips all the time or being in this setting where we offer God's praises through word and music. But uh, remember, as psalmist says, the Lord is enthroned on the praise of his people. In other words, there's a real rich connection right there in praise. Ministry with others, whether it's the uh, food distribution or mobile meals or whatever those children and adults have done in Honduras or whatever you are planning to do this week. Ministry with others. Uh, Jesus says, whatever you have done for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me, you will have that Holy Spirit encounter in ministry with others. And then there are some uh, esoteric ones, for lack of a better word. Speaking in that heart language that the Bible calls glossolalia, which is tongues, somehow people who speak in that heart language rather than the head language often have a very close, intimate connection with the Holy Spirit in those moments and find that as a, a moment of peace and empowerment and usefulness. Um, you may find them in nature at a glorious sunrise or a sunset or a walk through the woods, and you all of a sudden have a profound presence of the Holy Spirit near you or around you. Stop, be still, receive Him, receive direction from Him, bathe in that Holy Spirit. Go where He has a reputation for showing up. And go with an open mind. Not, I've heard all these bad things about the Holy Spirit. I don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me about the Holy Spirit. I, I'm scared of the Holy Spirit. I just like Jesus. Let, let me just do Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Nope, nope, nope. Go with an open mind. How do I receive this? Have this opportunity? Remember, it is always participation, not observation. Enter in. Another thought, do something you never have done before. There was a time when I did not speak in that heart language of tongues. There's a time now that I do speak in that heart language of tongues. There was a time when I refused and said no to raising my hands ever in worship. There was a time when I was willing to risk and take a step out and raise my hands as an act of worship. Do something you've never done before. Whatever it is for you. Uh, it may be singing with the community for the first time rather than just listening. I don't know what it is, but just be thinking. Let the ho- See, the Spirit will guide you into this also. And, um, and just do something you've never done before. Try it. And in all of this, then expect that you will leave change than when you arrived. Because the Holy Spirit is the great change agent. This is the way of asking, I believe. I'll close with this final scripture passage. This is the way of asking the how. Jesus tells us precisely. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. He has a little discursus that he talks about giving a, who's going to give a scorpion to their son. They're going to give him a fish. And he concludes, how much more will your father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit 
to those who ask him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the third way. The way of power, the way of love, the way of the Holy Spirit. Seize the opportunity for your life. Amen. Let us stand.